This is podcast 302, entitled Narrative Schmerative, and we begin and end the podcast with excerpts from two dazzling and, in my opinion, Wagnerian tracks by the Delphonics, who were a Philadelphia-based late 60s, early 70s group produced by Tom Bell, whose work at its best is, is beyond transcendent. And I wanted to take a fairly high line because I wanted to take a high note on the uh, topic, which is narratives. And um, the uh, overwhelming shackling character of narratives, both uh, always and everywhere in human affairs, and now as clearly as ever in my lifetime, where narratives or um, what we used to call paradigms or sort of presuppositional um, conceptual frameworks determine the reality that people admit or will see or will undertake to approach. And the power of narratives is unbelievable. Now, I think I have to say that this has been the most difficult podcast for me to um, record for some time. This is the fourth taping of the cast, actually the fifth taping of the cast, because I'm so afraid I'm going to say something that will get me into trouble. Now, isn't that amazing? I have nothing here to say that is of a partisan that is of a ideological character. I'm not going to underline one person's credibility or accuracy versus another. I'm going to talk about a general um, event, a general vulnerability that the human being has to what I call a narrative or used to be called a paradigm, a, a structured uh, presuppositional um, uh, framework uh, in which reality is sort of um, uh, placed rather than letting the reality speak for itself. You might call it deduction versus induction. I'm trying to take a general statement and I'm afraid I'm going to say something that's going to get me into trouble. Now, that cannot be right. That cannot be right. I think that's, I was just telling Mary, I said, why is it taking me so long to get this right? And I said, I, I must be afraid I'm going to, going to offend somebody or say the wrong thing that'll get me into trouble. And yet what I have to say is something that is deeply, powerfully rooted in the Christian tradition as well. There are only two things I want to say. The first is that um, the... Uh, uh, that today uh, a pre-conditioned, pre-arranged uh, structure of ideas called a narrative uh, is of uh, extraordinary magnetism for the average human being and the average opinion maker so that we see everything in terms of narratives and then when it doesn't fit, something happens that doesn't fit the story or narrative or paradigm, we have to disregard it, pretend we didn't see it, or more likely try to fit it uh, malformed into the shoe, uh, the pattern, the uh, cookie cutter of our own previous narrative. And uh, it, it is a really anti-accuracy. Um, it is an anti-realism. It is anti-reality view. Uh, and these narratives are so powerful. Let me give you an example. Um, the uh, something that uh, Buddhism Buddhism has taught uh, us uh, that these stories it goes way back to Buddhism and I'm so struck uh, Christianity has the same insight by consequence but uh, the Buddha made a point of saying that we're all infested with these stories and we have to get rid of them in order to live our lives on the, uh, in terms of what's actually occurring so we won't put kind of prejudice and agenda over everything that happens to us and make terrible terrible errors in our life's relationships and patterns 
and you know the mindfulness movement, the uh, all the different trainings of the mind that are so powerful among, especially among the people that I've all, always grown up with. I guess it's everybody, but certainly everybody I knew from an early stage was into yoga and mindfulness. I mean, I remember a guy, very top executive in New York somewhere. I, I even know the company he worked for, uh, and and he would sit on his desk and meditate mindfully. This was 40 years ago, to sort of get everything out, <clears throat> so he could take reality as it is without narratives. And if the very same person and the very same people coming out will will, will if if they actually go into the cultural world or the world of the mind or the world of the papers they read or the television they watch, will be completely convinced of a certain kind of a narrative. It's as if the the connection between uh, between no story and the mindfulness uh, basic therapeutic model, which is essentially Buddhist in this country. Um, uh, unless it's dis- directly Christian, and then it's often quite um, law rather than grace, but be that as it may, the uh, the power of the idea that there should be no narratives and I have to open myself to whatever comes along and welcome whatever comes along as being whatever is, as in there are ultimately no mistakes or this is the way it had to be, That is uh, you, you, that, that same person moves into the marketplace of ideas and is immediately, passionately, vociferously, and sometimes even vindictively possessed with the desire to press his narrative or her narrative upon the rest of the world. So there's no link between the, the whole world of therapy and the world of ideology because it's the same people, but they've missed something. And, um, um, let me give another example. We are told today, this is kind of narrative, uh, go towards the canons. Uh, go towards the negativity, the welcoming prayer in Thomas Keating. Welcome what is bad, and if you welcome the negative, it will resolve itself in such a way in your overall psyche that it will take its proper place, and you won't be uh, in a place of resistance and repression and, and splitting, but rather integration and wholeness and harmony. And that's absolutely true. Uh, and yet you then, <clears throat> the very same people who've been telling me this, all of the, the, then they'll go out, these corporate executives, and they'll immediately adopt the uh, contrary narrative, which says, if there's a opinion out there that is unwelcome and bad, delete it. Decapitate it. Um, W-I-T-E. White it out with white ink so no one can ever see it again. This is the Orwellian alternative. So on the one hand, you have Frau Sundberg with her going towards the cannons, and the other view, which very many of the same people suddenly take up within seconds of leaving the therapist or the yoga energy, and then they say there is no place in this context for that view. No place. So there's no ability to to include a negative possibility or a negative idea. It must be resisted and in fact cancelled. Now, do you see there's a complete, it just shows you that there's no integration between the the, the, the people. These narratives have a life of their own, and people can go along with completely contradictory narratives, and yet whenever there's a narrative, there's destruction. Whenever there's a narrative, when you place a narrative on something, there's destruction. Now, even biblical theology has sometimes done this, to yank to yank the listener to a totally different world. I'm well aware of the power of biblical theology, which says you have to you have to troll the Old Testament for references to Christ, uh, because Christ is in the Old Testament, and the narrative of Christ on the cross and the death of the Son of Man for sins and the sacrificial lamb is all there. And so if you just take the New Testament narrative, you can find elements of it and uh, within the Old Testament, which is true, but that means that parts of the Old Testament don't accord to that narrative are sort of, well, what do you do with them? You see, so uh, you, you can do it in the Christian church, but it more commonly happens in the world of politics and culture, uh, a secular world, and passionate, passionate conviction of narratives. And let me tell you about narratives. Narratives are... Um, 
are also they fl they're flighty. They're, they're the nar my narrative today will be. Um, the, 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 the very thing I'm trying to destroy today in my narrative will become a new orthodoxy in a few years. It's, it doesn't really matter what the narrative is. My baby changes like the weather. Great song. My baby changes. The narrative changes. Um, the narrative in the, gosh, I remember in the Clinton impeachment, the narrative was, well, whatever he does in his private life, that shouldn't have any bearing on, on, his, on what he does in his public life, should it? That way, everybody, it was like a, like a mantra. What you do in private shouldn't really have any bearing on your ability to do a job. No, not. and Couldn't be more untrue. Um, and uh, today, you know, what you did in private 40 years ago um, uh, becomes the defining thing for who you are in public today. And so the, the narratives, the, these narratives are meaningless. They're, they're, they're as, as quay narratives, whatever truth they may hold is not the important thing. The fact is that they have a cookie cutter and profoundly impeding and suppressing effect. I mean, the very fact that I was afraid to, to speak about narratives because I thought I might be attacked by somebody who has a narrative. And I'm not talking about a narrative. I'm talking about being true to yourself. Now, let me talk about that in Christian terms. Mary and I have had an extremely funny experience. It's, it has funny and both, it's both funny and humbling. <clears throat> it just came upon us to watch the 1998 BBC version of Charles Dickens's last completed novel, Our Mutual Friend. And as we started to watch it, I was resisting to watching it because I thought it was something different. I thought it was something that Trollope had written about America because I knew Dickens had strong ideas about America when he used to come over here and lecture. And I, I suddenly realized this has nothing to do with what I thought. This is a profoundly complex, deeply transcendent, almost metaphysical melodrama about the nature of death and rebirth. And within five minutes, I said, oh, my gosh, this is an unbelievably deep, complex parable of sacramental baptismal regeneration and the possibility of living as a person who has died uh, to, to man and yet alive unto God. And that, that was, it was actually meant that way. And as I saw it, I turned to Mary and I said, what a joke that I have thought all these years, I thought I knew everything about Dickens, quote, everything. <laughs> Look, please, chop my hand off, please. We live in Khartoum. Um, I couldn't believe it. And yet now, why was that? So then we watched it and I said, oh my gosh, this is about the power of the Christian identity transformation, which occurs at spiritual death, which is usually that thing that happens when you are, um, when you are, um, the death that happens to you when, isn't it funny, the, the, the text just came in on my phone. I know what it is, and I immediately got distracted. The um, power in our uh, New Testament Bible, in the whole of the Bible, of the death which circumstances, negative impasses, catastrophic reversals have on us to unloosen the attachment of our ego on historic life and uh, in which are we, our ego begins to die in the face of reversal and we suddenly begin to see what really counts and then we become the new being. This is Second Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. It's uh, Philippians and it's very much Ephesians 2. Um, the new man, the new being, as opposed to the old carnal being. Now, I used to think that was sort of Campus Crusade, but it's actually very, and I, what did I know about Campus Crusade until I was long away from a campus, but I, the, I, there's a truth to it. Um, there's a truth to it. 
um, there's a part of me that is absolutely a narrative giver, a narrative birther, a narrative conceiver, and a narrative imposer. And that's all in service of the egos trying to attempt some control over negative reality. And then there's the part of me which is dead in the face of negative reality, and God raises into a new place of, of you might say, depersonalized dependency. And um, this uh, story, this our mutual friend, this this odd imposition on a life when I thought I knew about Charles Dickens is about a man who is both dead and alive. The story will explain that with complete credibility. The man is both dead and alive at the same time. And at one point he tells to his love interest uh, at a very powerful moment, he says, well, you know, for a man like me who's, who's dead, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a free man. I suddenly discovered that I could do anything I thought was right. I could do anything. And he's a good man. I could do anything I wanted because I was dead. And he said, and I could also take risks like you, <laughs> like, like, like loving you. I could, I could gamble. I was a free man. Um, I sometimes see this in the president of the United States. Uh, I see occasionally a, a, a person who's not a politician. Of course, that's his undoing, and it's also very powerful because wouldn't it be wonderful if people weren't actors? Wouldn't it be wonderful, as that line goes in the, in the movie Susan and God, or the play Susan and God, why do people never tell you what they really think? Well, here's somebody that, that sometimes, or quite often actually, tells us what, what, what he really thinks. And isn't that a good thing? Just, just that in itself. What he thinks is a separate matter. That's the narrative, which is, will be uh, either uh, you know, confirmed or will be uh, decimated. Um, and, uh, and yet, to be able to say what you really think, to be a free man, to, to be a free man in a relationship with a girl, <laughs> with, with, with the person you love the most, to be free as opposed to constantly under the gun of some kind of self-critical and their critical view, which is a, essentially a narrative on you, let alone a narrative you place upon yourself. Um, what is so uh, vital is the death of the self, which happens, by the way, again, through catastrophic, tragic reversals. And, and we're having one, you might say, in the culture right now. We're even having one. We've all had them in our individual lives, or about to have them, or have had them, or are going to have them, or in the midst of them. But um, this is more, to, there's, there's even a kind of catastrophic, just when we thought everything was okay with the coronavirus, the infections are up. Now, not the deaths, and that's important, not the deaths. They're down. But the infections, good Lord, you know, um, what a thing. And uh, how these narratives clash, even in relationship to the coronavirus. I mean, there are so many narratives about the coronavirus. Probably almost everybody I'm talking to, there are about three major narratives, which each one of you probably have. I have one of them, you have one of them, somebody else has the third one. And uh, these narratives uh, determine how we um, read the graphs of the, the number of cases and the geographical spread of the cases. And, and yet... They're narratives. They, 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 they change. The, the only thing that really matters is the facts. In other words, reality is inductive, not deductive. The only person who can finally live freely, and even, I might add, I have to think about this deductively, but certainly inductively, is a person who's been cleansed of narratives. Now, you can't really do it through mental health, although that won't hurt, but it has to be done. So what have I said? I've said that these narratives are extraordinarily powerful, and they really need to be seen for what they are, which is um, pre-existing forms of theoretical control over reality by which some reality has to be either disregarded or molded or shaped in a way other than its true shape to fit our previous mold 
or previous cookie cutter. And these narratives uh, are, uh, in, 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 they're, like, they're like shackles there. They're unbelievably con, uh, con, um, captivating. And uh, they're like great heavy chains, uh, great yokes around our necks. And the only way they, they can leave us is by leaving the entire structure of conceptual thought, which happens when we are facing the complete end of our egotistical and ego um, aspirations and are simply free to them and have to actually love and accept love and accept reality as it actually is. And as Christians, we know that the new person, the new being, is open to the extraordinarily extensive of love of God, which is uh, 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 an electromagnetic field with which when we are in touch of it through the unyoking of previously decided arbitrary narratives, allows us to actually be somebody. And that's the meaning of this remarkable book, which I commend. But start with the 1998 BBC. It's easy to get. You can buy it in two secs. It's in four parts on uh, iTunes or um, Netflix or Prime, Amazon Prime. Get it. Uh, uh, the uh, story of uh, one particular individual and a few others in uh, the, our mutual friend. Well, we're going to conclude with one other wonderful cut from uh, the Delphonics, produced by Tom Bell, alias Richard Wagner. 